Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AM, PM podcast. As a matter of fact, I went paintballing for the first time in a long while, and it was a ton of fun, but man, did it hurt when I got hit. And while I was getting pelted by these paintballs, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hey, everybody. I am honored to be here with David and Leah Cups. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to see you. Great. So, little backstory. We met back at the ASM event in Austin, you guys were already crushing it then. And one of the things that struck me was that you guys were in the process of selling a business. You're putting everything together. And you guys were a you know, husband and wife team, which was really cool. And we went out for dinner, for drinks. And we were going to have you on the podcast a little while back, but there were some complications with the sale. And you said, let's hold off a little bit. And we yeah. finally got you on the show and we can talk about it. <laughs> we're free to talk about it now. Um, you know. Not cool. going to hurt anything. It's all done. Awesome. Well, just a little bit of, bit of information on you guys. You've been in this yep. business since 2014, right? That's correct. Yes. And you started with only 500 bucks. Is that accurate? 500 bucks. Yep. That's yeah, crazy. People always ask me, can I start with 500 bucks? And I tell them no. I'm like, no, you can't. But you guys did it. 500 bucks. You can. You can yeah. if you're your own manual labor. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. And you grew that. You multiplied it a few times. I think you got it up to about $2.8 million in 2016, right? Yes, that right. was uh, 2.8 across all marketplaces in 2016. Cool. And then what happened this year? Well, this year we sold the business. So um, we, it was funny. We had an amazing January. Uh -huh. January like was way better than Christmas in 2017. Um, and then we had some issues with inventory, but um, we ended up closing on the business um, August or it would have been July 31st. Okay. Um, and so now we immediately uh, launched another, we're, we're launching three brands. And uh, the first brand that we launched, um, we're doing, we have a run rate of about $13,000 a month already. That's correct. You guys are Amazon monsters. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so wait, but let's go back. You sold the business. What did you sell okay. it for? We sold the business for 4 million. Millionaires. 4 million. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. So let's, people always are curious about selling private label businesses. Was this one brand, multiple brands within the seller? Did you sell the whole seller central account or just a brand or how'd that work? Yeah, the whole seller central account. One of the mistakes that we made in the beginning, because in the beginning when we started, we didn't, uh, we didn't think about selling, you know, we didn't know that these businesses could be sold. We didn't know anything about it really. Yeah. Um, it was actually our accountant that kind of turned it on to a website closer, turned us on to website closers. Uh, that, you know, said, Hey, these guys, you know, specialize in, in online businesses, uh, you should talk to them. And so we did. And, uh, um, things just kind of took off, uh, you know, from there. Nice. And so how does that work? What kind how do you get a $4 million valuation? Is that ba based off of your net profit, a multiple of that or. Yeah, we ended up getting a 4.7 multiple, which was awesome. Um, and one of the reasons is we were kind of in a hot category. And so, um, that made it really appealing to buyers. Nice. 4.7. That's really good. So 
it fell through, or I guess there was complications. Did you end up selling? Did it event, eventually work out with the same buyer? Yeah, or? No. Basically, what how we uh, so we had two different brands. I guess to answer your question earlier, we had in two different categories, and what we had done is we put we made the mistake and we put them both into the same seller essential account. Mm-hmm. So trying to sell separate them off and sell them separately um, was difficult. You know, I mean, to uh, just to find people that were um, that were you know looking for them and and things, but. When we put them together, you know, the, the revenue from both, um, created, you know, together was a much higher revenue. And so your goal is to kind of get to, they, they always say, you know, if you can get to, you know, a million dollars in uh, EBITDA is what they call it, which is your profits, uh, before you pay taxes. So after all of your overhead and everything's paid, you know, all except for just paying your taxes, what's that number. And so that's called EBITDA. And so with the uh, EBITDA, we ended up um, with both companies together at 835,000 in, uh, in uh, you know, profits or whatever, you know. And so um, basically we got a 4.7 multiple on that by putting them both together. We only would have gotten, by separating them out, we would have only got like a two or a three times multiple, but by putting them together, we're able to get a 4.7 multiple. Why do you think that is? I've heard this multiple times where people will get a higher multiple by getting that dollar amount, that final sales volume or sales amount higher. Yeah, the reason is because the private equity groups. Uh, um, it depends on who your who your buyer is. You know, basically at the end of the day, um, you're more you're going to be more appealing to those higher level players. You know, mostly private equity groups, and that's kind of the becoming the popular thing now. Private equity groups are really starting to look at Amazon businesses. They're starting to hear about uh, these type of businesses and buy them up. Um, but to just to add to their portfolio. Um, but you know, the main reason is, is just because the more revenue you have, um, you know, the, you start attracting attention to those, those, uh, people with larger wallets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Would you say if somebody could sell a business right now in November, knowing that December is going to be a humongous month, would you say do that? Or would you say, wait until after Q4, even though, you know, the sales are going to drop off when they're looking at your account, what would you recommend? So I would recommend, um, I would wait, you know, cause getting that 12, uh, trailing 12 months, um, of revenue and then your multiple of that, it's obviously going to mo- be more appealing to somebody in January. Mm-hmm. However, um, what you want to keep in mind is, um, the, the process, it doesn't happen like overnight, you know, it's a long process for us from the time that we accepted the offer till we actually closed with six months of going back and forth with lawyers. Mm. And so, um, but I, I would say, wait, because then your profit would be higher. Well, one of the things you're going to find is that there is that time period, you know, the, the whole lawyering thing and, and just even the SBA, you know, if it's an SBA loan, just getting that approved, you know, from the buyers, you know, from, from their bank and that whole process. I mean, they really run them through the ringer. They make them get life insurance on themselves. They, <laughs> they do all of these, tons of things that they have to do. It, it's really a lot of steps. That's probably all subjective to the different banks that they're getting loans with, but overall, it's it's pretty similar, uh, you know, across the board. Yeah. What was the biggest surprise in this whole thing to you guys? You just kind of threw you for a loop you weren't expecting. Well, the first surprise was how much the company was worth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's you know, here we had that's started. So surprising. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> we're still, so we don't feel any different or anything like that. But you know, I mean, we really started this company with like five hundred dollars. We we like to tell the story. We had a powder. Mm-hmm. Um, that we sold. And it literally was like a powder that came in a jar with a label. We didn't come in a jar. It came in big bags and we scooped well, it out into a jar yeah, by so hand. We had uh, <laughs> our own assembly line 
with our own heat gun and we're like shrink wrapping each product. And that that's how we were able to start with such a small amount. Um, I'm a designer by trade, graphic designer. So I was able to do all the design work and, you know, make the images awesome. And, um, and David did the sourcing. And so we kind of teamed up and used our skills that we already had, you know, to really uh, bootstrap in the mm-hmm. beginning. And to even take one step, one small step, even backwards a little bit, the, when we, when we did that, we were in an apartment, we were building a house or whatever, and we were in this little, really nasty apartment or whatever, you know, and uh, we're scooping out this powder. But the whole reason that we started this, the whole reason we even began was because I was working in a medical sales job where I was gone like three or four nights a week. And we had, uh, we had a little one um, at the time, uh, you know, a, a little girl and, and everything. She was what, like, uh, she what, was one or two, one, one, one year old one. when we started. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then eventually we ended up, you know, having a little boy also, and he's, he's 19 months now, but the whole, you know, growing our family, one of the things that is important to us, we both grew up on, on small farms and stuff, you know, and we, family's really important to us. So what we did is we, we said, you know, what's, what's most important? Is it, you know, working more hours? Is it, you know, getting awards, you know, at your job or, or whatever, you know, what, what's really important to us. And really what, when I trained people in medical sales, what I used to tell people is, listen, you know, you can make good money, but if you have a family at the end of the day, you know, when people at the end of their lives, they look back, they don't say, I wish I worked more hours or I wish I made another dollar. Right. You know, right. they look back and they say, I wish I would have spent more time with the people that they, that they care for. And that's why, I mean, that's what most people say. And so we decided to make that our focus. How can we spend more time together as a family? And, it, and you know, uh, we're huge fans of your podcast. And in the intro, you always give an example of something you were doing. And, you know, I was making money. How cool is that? <laughs> and uh, we, we actually say that Pretty every cool, day. I think. <laughs> yeah, <we do. laughs> but Thanks. my point is, it, this business opportunity has truly allowed us to live what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. Today, I was at the Apple store getting my uh, iMac repaired and, you know, I was making money. I was with my son and I wasn't having to work. So there, there's really some amazing leverage in the Amazon business. Um, but yeah, just to answer your original question, we were very surprised um, at how much the, the business was worth. And um, I don't think we've still quite, you know, gotten a hold of it, but we're going to do it again. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, for sure. You guys are. And how many hours would you say you work a day now on your business? Right now, about three or four. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, I work three days a week. Um, and in those days, I probably work six or seven hours. So so weekly, I would say we average between 15 and 25 hours each a week. Wow, that's awesome. And what's it like? I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that are married and they're like, I wonder what it'd be like to work full time with my <laughs> significant other. What's, what is that like? Well, it's, um, it's interesting. Right. So Go ahead. I'll let you answer. I think the... Uh, The best thing that we learned is, you know, you got to recognize really what your strengths are. And that's important and important where they're working with somebody or where they're working by yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, spend, you know, if if you're working, if you're doing it by yourself, you know, realize what your strengths are, focus on those and then delegate out the things that you're not that you're not good at or that you don't want to do. With Leah and I, it just so happens that for the most part, our strengths are different each other so we're able to focus on the things that that we're good at mm-hmm. and uh and we don't really cross each other's path that much you know we really step on each other's toes sometimes with the designing of packaging and stuff you know i i i like to He's put not a lot allowed of, to give feedback no leah, leah was a graphic <laughs> leah was a freelance graphic designer and stuff before and so you know when one has a degree for that and the other one does it you know you can guess who usually wins but i still give my input so um, I was in sales. So like writing the sales copy and, and, uh, optimizing and, you know, um, 
you know, reverse ASINs and, and all those different things, you know, helium 10 tools and, and all yeah. that good stuff. That's what I, that's what I really get into. And that's what I enjoy. Leah hates that. She yeah. would rather design <laughs> okay. the package. She wants to make it look pretty. I want to be scientific with it. Yeah. And I, and I, I like to um, create, so anything that involves creation. So, you know, from the packaging to the images um, to just like creating anything, the website. Um, I just like to make things happen as quickly as possible. That's my motto. Cool. And I, I have some questions. I know we've been talking about the sale of your business, but I want to talk about how you guys actually find products and launch things. We're going to get into that in just a second, but I have this little thing right here that you, uh, like that you that. wrote. Mom Life Inc. This was just published, right? Yeah, it was. Um, while really cool. we were going through the sale of the business, I was actually writing this book. And um, here's what's interesting about the book. Basically, you know, we've got this amazing opportunity with the Amazon business. And some people are extremely successful. I would, I would say we were very successful at it. Um, and some people never quite get off the ground. Um, and so in the book, I kind of went through and talked about the lessons that I learned that ad- actually made us successful. Um, so yes, anybody can do an Amazon business, but if you want to take it to the next level, I think there's like a set of essential principles, you know, that you follow. And I talk about, um, how I was able to work like three hours a day and still get like a ton of work done. Um, and just some really good action steps and advice, um, that I did because for a lot of the time that we were growing the business, um, David was gone two or three nights a week. So I was running the business by myself um, for, I would say maybe like a year in the, in the mm-hmm. middle of that. And he was helping, uh, whenever he could trust me, he was in there cool. staying up late, but I had to make everything happen. And so that's kind of what the book is about. Cool. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to actually reading it and it looks, it's actually, it doesn't look like a very long read. So it, it looks like it's got a lot of cool stuff. I'm looking at the bullet points on the back. I'm just going to read them off for those of you that want the, the cliff notes here. It looks like write an incredible vision for your life, blast through your to-do list, Take calculator risks and action. Squash your need to be perfect. Invest in your education. Delegate the mundane business tasks. Find your purpose. Develop your grit. Sounds very, very cool. <laughs> so well, let's talk about some of these strategies here, though. You just started three new brands. Are these under three different accounts now? Yeah, yes. three different You, you learned. You learned the first time. <laughs> yeah. So how do you go about picking a product now for, for each of these brands? Great question. Um, well, I would say I'll let Leah pick up from after this point, but basically when, uh, we talked to the uh, brokers that sold our business for us, they were at the, um, the last ASM, ASM conference. So we talked to them privately while they're there for probably an hour for, you know, a good amount of time. And what we wanted to do is pull the information out from them of, I mean, they sell so many of these type of businesses. So, you know, we thought, okay, we're starting we're starting over and, um, instead of us just doing like what we want to do and, and creating businesses based off of like what, what we like or, or what we, you know, what comes up in like the best sellers, things like that. Um, we wanted to get the information from them on, uh, what are people looking for? What are buyers looking for in these large groups? If we want to do this again and sell a, a company again, each one of these for multiple millions of dollars, um, what's the, what's the best way to do it? What are, what, are, what should we, what should we create? You tell us. And, uh, and one of those things was, um, they said, you know, they gave us some categories and then they said, one of, one of the things that, uh, increases your multiple is, um, reoccurring revenue through subscription models. And so we tried to make each one of our, each one of our businesses, um, ones that made sense with the subscription model. So like the subscribe and save on Amazon. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you, so all three of your products and your brands are subscription based. 
yeah, two well, of them the, are. One of them we're still working on. Yeah, the one we haven't launched the third one yet. We've launched uh, or we've launched four products, four out of eight products so far that we're still waiting on four to finish manufacturing in the first category okay. or in the first brand. The, the second brand, um, it's actually uh, at the uh, port right now um, on the way in, and uh, and then the third one we've uh, we're only just getting the sourcing and and things right now and deciding on that we have the the product line, but we're just uh, narrowing down the the manufacturers. Um, to them will be they they the new one that we haven't launched yet will be subscribe and save um they'll all they'll all have subscribe and save options well they'll have some some that aren't subscribe and save too are you buying containers at a time at this point or are you starting off smaller we have never shipped anything by freight everything's been shipped by air since the start which is which is horrible for the margins but somehow we made it work <laughs> really? and even today you still do that yeah, because we're launching new. So our whole thing is um, first to market, right? So we're trying to get products in as quickly as possible before competition and just to get our foothold in place. Okay. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention as far as like uh, how we select products. Um, so there's there's two different er- or two different points that I want to make. Number one, one of the greatest uh, successes that we had with our previous uh, brand was instead of using all the tools available for selecting products and looking on Amazon, which is where everybody else was looking, we actually go to a store and walk around the store and make a list. So let's say you have uh, fitness products. So you go to Dick's Sporting Goods or a fitness store and you walk around or you could ask the manager, what's the best selling product? You know, what products are doing well? And then we make that list and then we go look on Amazon. And what we found is that allows us to see products where other private labelers aren't in place yet. Mm. And that if you can be first to to private label a product on Amazon or create your own version of a product on Amazon, you're way ahead of the game and almost guaranteed success if the BSR is there. So are you finding stuff in a store without serious modification that is not even on Amazon that you can private label? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we did. We were, we did find some of that um, when we did that before. But absolutely, yeah. Well, and one the way we always looked at it is, you know, when you when you see things at the store, retailers. We took this uh, retail course that ASM offered. Um, uh, retail uh, retail profits. Retail with profits. Karen Waxman. And uh, and so it's really we got into stores and actually as we were selling the business, finally we were selling. We got in their online stores for um, for large large retail stores. And then as we were selling, we got on the shelves finally. And, uh, you know, it was like our, as it was changing hands, our dream came true and we're like, hey, but so, uh, so, um, but the, the unique thing about that is that, you know, people sign these agreements or, you know, the buyers for retail, they, they're like looking like several months ago for stuff that's going to be next year. I mean, I mean, here in January, February, they'll be looking for things for 2019. You know, it happens so early. So basically what that does, in my opinion, is it creates kind of a lag in the uh, in the trends um, in the retail store. And compared to how quickly we can get something manufactured and get it online and get it selling, um, we can use Pinterest and, and uh, um, you know, Instagram and some of these different things to see what the current trends are and really stay current. Whereas then when people to go to look for that stuff in the retail stores, they don't see those current trends always in the, on the retail shelves yet. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, so we can kind of see what they're selling and see, okay, this is really cool, but, um, you know, the design isn't really that current. So we could do this and then, and, and modify it, make it our own and make it more current. 
And that uh, would work for some categories, not all. Yeah, not for it. It was just this is just what helped what worked for for our main business. How do you yeah. use Pinterest to see what's trending for a product? Oh, so if you were like in a female category for like skincare or baby products or maybe even apparel, you know, you could see what the trends were. Or Etsy, I've heard people going to Etsy to see like, you know, what the what the trendy things are right now. Um, so those are those are really great ways. So just thinking outside of the box, you know, going to the store, not always starting on Amazon because that's where everybody is starting. Right. And then zig the other, when other point, people zig when other people are zagging, I guess, right? Yeah. And so then the other point I wanted to make was um, we try to go into categories. Maybe they don't have like a BSR of 500, but they're not saturated. You know, there's actually opportunity there. And I still think there's a lot of that on Amazon, but you won't ever see us selling like a cell phone case or, you know, a Bluetooth speaker, or Bluetooth speaker you know, right. so we try to be very strategic about picking products that aren't saturated. I would, I would say one thing I'd add on that point too is, is, um, making everything really congruent, you know, making, making it all, um, go together well as a cohesive brand. Um, one of the biggest mistakes, I mean, there's some people that teach this, like pick, pick different products from categories and just kind of take advantage of like what's popular at the time, like fidget spinners or whatever. That's one way to make money. Um, but for us, you know, we, we realize that, you know, when you do that, all it does is just kind of drive it's a race to the bottom, you know, for the price, you know, everybody rushes in and they do fidget spinners. And then pretty soon fidget spinners are like a dollar a piece or whatever. And nobody's <laughs> making money. Um, instead, I think the much better way is to build a cohesive brand with followers and, and, uh, you know, people that are looking for your next thing that you're going to launch. And, um, and that's where that's kind of like the real source of, of our success is we, we built a brand where everything could be cross sold. And I'm a huge fan, you know, be from being going from like, you know, 12, 13 years in medical sales. I'm a huge fan of the cross sell. So if you can have something that, you know, you can sell to that same customer over and over again, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have to spend as much money on, on collecting new customers. You know, you can just keep selling them, you know, new stuff. What did you do to actually build up this customer list or, or user base that you could keep reaching out to and selling more products? Did you have a mailing list, a page somewhere? Um, talk about the, uh, the well, um, for, for follow up email. Yeah. So, um, we, we had like a couple different strategies. Um, one was, uh, we did an email append with like managed by stats. And so we had with our previous brand, I think we had an email list of like 60,000 cause we had, you know, had a lot of customers. Um, and then we used that email list to not only build a relationship, but then also, uh, launch products. And so, launching products was so easy because we already had this like hungry audience. We're sending them coupon codes. They already know us and they're leaving reviews. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we started our new brands, now we're like completely starting from scratch and there's all these new terms of service rules on Amazon where your message to a buyer has not been delivered, you know? <laughs> um, right. And so because of their, they're able to opt out now. So it's more challenging, but the, the same processes are still working. And now we're working on building up a new email list and finding ways to get people to opt in so that we can have that asset moving forward. What are the ways you're using to get this email opt-in list built? So um, Facebook advertising, just getting followers and likes. Mm -hmm. um, if people go to our website, obviously they can sign up for like a coupon club. And then um, our biggest, I guess, and e easiest strategy is just to do an email append 
um, once we have all of our customers in place. Well, the follow-up email worked really well too. When yeah, we, we have our- a follow-up email that um, we don't necessarily give them any particular um, email address because obviously that would be against Amazon's um, terms of service, but um, we just really push our brand and ourselves as a brand. And so I think that helps drive people to our website. Okay. What email follow-up service do you guys use? We use um, Feedback Genius. Feedback Genius. Feedback yeah. Genius. Okay. And what was the name of the company that you actually used to brokerage the sale of your business? Website Closers. Website, website Closers. Okay. You like yeah. them a lot? I mean, obviously, yeah, they, they, they did a good job for you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They did a, they did a great job. <laughs> they were, uh, the guy that we had was, was, you know, we really like him a lot. We'd love to use him again. Um, they're, they're really good at what they do, mm-hmm. for sure. All right. So you guys have launched a new brand, one of three that are coming and you've generated 13,000. So what you said in the first month so far in sales, how do you actually launch that brand when you're first starting out? Right. So what we did, we actually tried two different strategies with our products. Um, One of our products was in a more saturated um, category with uh, more competition for that particular keyword. So we used a service to launch it, like an email blast service. Um, and that got us a pretty good ranking. The other three products, interestingly enough, as soon as we put them up, because there was only like maybe four other private labelers, three or four, they just started selling naturally. Um, so we just got a couple of friends to leave a review that mm-hmm. Amazon wouldn't know that we knew them. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's tricky. Um, and, uh, so they got a couple of reviews, you know, cause people hate being the first people to leave a review, right? You just got to kind of grease the wheels a little bit. Yeah. And then, uh, we just started running ads and we've had, um, you know, I think of that 13,000, maybe four or five was the giveaway and the rest was natural sales from products. Nice. And when you said you use like a, a service to do an email blast, is that to send out a bunch of coupon codes to ring for keywords or yeah. is that what right. we're talking about? Yeah. Coupon codes. It was viral launch. Okay. All right. Cool. So we use basically they just use like a two-step URL. And- yeah. And that's, and I mean, I, I think they're, I think they're a good company. They're actually here in Indianapolis where, where we are mm-hmm. and stuff. But, um, you know, I mean, I, you, you've taught the two-step URL and, and things. It's really not rocket science. Right. Um, the nice thing I guess is that it saves you a little bit of money compared to like, uh, you know, sending that out to Facebook if you don't have an email list or whatever is because, you know, you pay like a flat fee and they have over a hundred thousand, you know, people that are, uh, um, you know, opting in for these, these coupons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so, so, um, just saves you money on clicks, I guess. And you will get a few reviews from that as well. They usually see like a one to 2% review, um, to, you know, give away. Ratio. And it's all within terms of service. Cause it's not asking mm-hmm. for a review or anything like that. It's just basically like a, a website where people can go and get a, you know, get a coupon for products. Okay. So how many units of your products do you typically give away for, for a launch? How many did you give away? That actually depends. They figured that out for for us. Um, so it actually depends on how competitive the keyword is. So the more competitive, the more giveaways you have to do. So I think right. for this particular launch, we gave away maybe like 180 to 200 units. Okay. So you went after one keyword phrase? Yes. We went after one. They said you get better results just going after one. And that's one of the downsides too, in my opinion, is that you only get one, one or two keyword phrases Mm -hmm. and stuff. Whereas if you are doing it yourself and you want to do it yourself out to, or even continue from there and do it out to like Facebook or something, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just rotate your, rotate your two-step URLs in there. Okay. Okay. And just from a strategy standpoint, um, I don't know how you, I forget how you approach it specifically, but in our minds, when we do an order, let's say we order 500 to a thousand units, we mentally always give away that first 200, 100 to 200 units because yeah, yeah. 
you don't want to hold on to that thinking, oh, I'm, this is going to be part of like how I start making money. No, you have to get ranked for keywords. So you need to do some kind of a discount. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I tell my girlfriend's actually uh, now selling on Amazon. She actually ordered her first full container. So she's all freaked out about that and excited at the same time, as you can imagine. But it was, I told her, I said, you know what? This stuff's going to take forever to get here. You know, it okay. seems like forever anyways, right? When you're waiting right. for your right. products. And I said, order some of the stuff via Express Air, get it in. And yeah. the number that you're going to be ordering is, you know, you need a few so you can take good photography, but the yeah. rest of it's going to be given away, you know, 300 units, 500 units, whatever that number is, and get those things ready, kind of time it so that you get all of those rankings just as the stuff is getting in. And yeah. then you're good to go. And it just saves, you know, it saves a couple of weeks of time. But yeah, absolutely. People, I think it's probably one of the biggest things people don't factor in is the, the number of units you have to essentially discount heavily, I guess, to get that velocity so that you can get those rankings up. Because otherwise, it's very difficult, especially with the marketplace the way it is to, unless you get really lucky to launch and, and just be at the top of page one where you exactly. get those organics, right? Well, and it's, it's really, I think one of the hardest things that, you know, even, even, the buyer of our, of our previous companies and stuff, they're feeling the pains of, uh, um, inventory management. And so when you're starting out and you're doing those giveaways, um, one of the hardest things to gauge is like, okay, you're like, I only have so much money and I'm, I can only do this much inventory. And then I do these giveaways and then the, you don't think it's a bad thing, but the bad thing is, is then it really catches on and like ranking goes up and sales go up. And then you're trying to get these orders like in there, uh -huh. like or you're trying to get the inventory stocked back up again. And there's so many times and we we didn't do a great job at that. We probably lost so many thousands of dollars, you know, just uh, being out of stock and not timing things right. Mm -hmm. And so when we were presenting things to the buyers, it was kind of like you could tell they were kind of frowning on these dips that they would see, you know, like, well, what's this? You know, what's wrong with this business? And like, no, nothing's wrong with it. We just didn't manage inventory well. And so now they're experiencing the same thing and like, see. See, I told you. <laughs> so it's why hard. are you stocked out? Uh-huh. They're like, they said yesterday on the phone, they're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. They're like, we just can't seem to get it pinpointed, you know, to keep from running out. So um, that's one of the most difficult things. So when you, when we talk about $500 to start a, the business, or as we were saying earlier, um, in today's time, um, especially if you're in a competitive market and, and things like that, I, I think you need 5,000 minimum now. Um, not only because it's becoming more competitive and there's more sellers out there, but to try to avoid some of those inventory um, mm -hmm. problems that we had. So you're ready for that next order because you got to always think, OK, if I sell these 500 or 1000 units or whatever, if I give away some and, you know, I have 1000 units, let's say I give away 200, that leaves me 800. And there's no way you're going to get more back in there before those are all gone. So um, order a little bit more and then also have that money ready because the next order is probably going to be bigger. Yeah, and you have to take yeah. all the money you made from that first, that for those first thousand units, you have to take every dollar of that, put it back in and feed the monster, you know, to, and then take all the rest of your money that you have and make a bigger order. So it's, it's really, sometimes it'll go for a while. We went two years and we didn't take a single profit. We lived off of. When Leah mentioned well, me David working. Did, and I, I might've been taking a little off the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a good lesson, right? Because a lot of people immediately want to start, they want to quit their job and then start taking a salary or something from right. their business. And unless you are bankrolling some big number, it's hard to do that because your salary or the amount that you're taking out could be a large percentage of those profits that you got to roll around. And David, like you just said, you almost have to have, actually, I wouldn't even say you almost, you have to have your order in and already in production, if you're, especially if you're using China, well before you even know if you're taking off on that on the sales of those products right because of the, right. the cycle 
Otherwise, you stock out. Exactly. Well, and then the downside of the here's the, here's the even trickier part is that you know if you you know you make that second order and it's bigger, right? And by then you probably ran out so quick. There's no way you can send it by freight. You know, you got to send it by air because you need it here fast. So you're trying not to run out. Mm. And uh, and so then maybe okay, so now that's selling well. And then you're looking at the third order. Well, now your money is pretty much gone. So you can't even make your third order yet because you're waiting for money to come in unless you want to get a loan or unless you already started out with a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of the vicious the vicious cycle that that keeps happening. But what I was going to say was with the problem with freight, even though it saves you money, is that, you know, sometimes that there's a, um, you know, competitors will come in and we at, at the end when we sold our business, we had people that were watching everything that we did. And when we would launch a product pretty soon, they would come out with the same thing. Mm. And they were really like, they were just following in our footsteps. You know, they saw us successful with something, so they would just copy it. Yeah. And sometimes they would copy almost the same. We would make ours unique, but they would copy it almost down to a T and then use a lot of black hat stuff to compete with us, you know? Yeah. So that's the risk you run with, with, you know, people might say, well, why wouldn't I just order 10,000 units to start off with? Well, one, you got to prove the concept. You got to make sure that, that it sells well for you. Um, your manufacturer could have made an error, you know, and maybe there's a problem with the product and you have mm. to liquidate it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had that happen. Uh, the buyers had that happen recently where, you know, there was an error by the manufacturer and, and now they got to liquidate 500 units so that when the new ones come in, they don't get mixed in. Yeah. Um, so that's the hardest thing is in my opinion is juggling inventory. Don't order too much in the beginning. If there's people out there that are just starting out. Um, but at the same time, have some reserves so you can get those new next orders in quickly and try mm-hmm. to time it right. And in the beginning, you'll probably, you won't make as much profit because you'll have to use air. Um, but after you've kind of have a product that you know is going to hold and is going to continue to sell well and your ranking is kind of locked in, then maybe you can do some freight orders and some large, even larger orders then. Yeah. That's what I did in the beginning. All the earlier podcasts were express air for the longest time. I just didn't even know how to even do the, the sea shipments and freights. I was just, you know, right. just learning everything. But yeah, are you guys ordering? I mean, is everything that you're doing in China or do you do some stuff domestically now? We do both. You do both. We're trying to do as much in the U.S. as we can, as we can. We now. want to be made in the USA, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it I is. don't know if U.S. manufacturing is as organized as China is or they just don't have like, I wish they had like an Alibaba for the U.S., right? What do you least- guys use to find stuff in the U.S.? Where do you go? We just use Google. Yeah. Just, so there's no Alibaba that you don't like ThomasNet I mean, or anything like that? Net, but I yes. feel like ThomasNet is kind of. Well, here's the problem with ThomasNet. And here's, I, I've talked to people about this. I wish somebody in the U.S., if there's somebody out there that is a, that is a developer or something, I wish there was something in the U.S. like Alibaba. You know, yeah, some U.S. manufacturers are on Alibaba, but not very many. If there was something like that here and at the same time, if manufacturers would change the mindset, like in China, where they're willing to do like a 500 unit run or a thousand unit run. I was using ThomasNet for this third brand that we're that we're trying to launch where I'm sourcing now. And I spent like hours on the phone with people and everybody rejected me and said, you know, that's too small for us. And that's the way it's always been. You know, in the U.S., it's like they don't they don't want to take a chance on you. They don't want to take a chance on like 500, 1000, 2000 units. You know, they want 100,000 units is like their, a lot of their minimum mm-hmm. and it's not worth their time because they got to do all these changes in the factory just for you and all this stuff. Whereas China, they'll make the change. They'll, they'll, they're, they're really good at it. And that's, that's where they have the upper hand. Would yeah. you agree with that in your experience? I do. Yeah. I actually have not ordered, have I ordered anything from the U.S.? I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't believe we've had 
I know that currently we're not using anybody in the U.S. and I don't think we've ordered anything other than samples in the U.S. And the reason being was one of those reasons when I was first starting out was the quantity amount. And they're like, well, we need to have this amount of quantity. And outside of that, cost obviously is a big factor. I, I, mm-hmm. you, you save a lot of money by going to China tech, you know, on most things. Um, freight, obviously in the U.S., especially if it's big, you're, you're making like tables or something. You, know, you might make it back because of the weight and it's here and it's fast. Compared yeah. to, and you have to deal with stuff to fumigate wood products and yeah, exactly. uh, you know. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so there, I guess there would be advantages to ordering here in the U.S. if I if I had products like that. But and I want to get into stuff. I want again, like you guys said, made in the USA. But it's hard to compete yeah. on most products that at yeah. least on Unless the stuff that we're selling, like supplements or something, which we've never done. But right. um, anything ingestible, you know, you want to go to the U.S. Anything. Plastic is going to be better made in, in China. Um, yeah. And then we also, with our previous company, we sourced from Canada, United States, uh, China, and India. And no, our, yeah. So those were like the four different countries I that think we used. To be one plug I want to put in there is I think India is kind of, um, people kind of overlook India and go straight to China a lot of times. But in our experience, like India um, has always been like our, our best manufacturers. They, they've always been, you know, we find one, a lot of ones that are like family owned, you know, family's really important. And mm-hmm. I mean, it is in China too, but um, we just had better experience there. And then when it was shipping over, it gets into Amazon a lot easier and a lot faster coming from India than it does from China. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. India's cool. We use somebody in India as well. They're really good with furniture, fabrics, herbs, textile, or what is it? I forget. There's, there's like a number of things that are really good at compared to China. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I probably wouldn't want to go and get medicinal oils and stuff from China, how to do something maybe in India, maybe probably in the U S I remember now I had, we had, we had a supplement company that we were running prior to the Amazon stuff. And that was all USA based. Of course, yeah. you, know, mm-hmm. you don't want someone, uh, I, I, the liability insurance is crazy if you're getting stuff oh, yeah. outside the U S. So, but well, as I mentioned earlier with fumigation, there's, there's so many different certificates and things like that, that you have to get if it's coming over from China, yeah. depending on what you are. I mean, you just have to jump through a lot more hoops and, Last thing you want is like to be before the holidays and have your stuff hung up at the port all because the certificates were messed up. That's it's just, happening to us right it's now. Just, it's, just more, <laughs> it's, just, it's just more complicated, you know, it's just kind of, and, you know, but I mean, to that point, one of the things that we're doing is, is in a wooden, nice wooden gift box, you know? And I remember Kevin King talking yeah, about his, Kevin. his, uh, his wooden gift box and his $50 dog treat or whatever, you know, right. that he had in there on one of your podcasts and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, wooden, wooden gift box. and then. Yeah, it's you got to go through some more hoops for the wooden for, for when wooden wood is shipped over here, but it looks yeah. nice. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's a learning experience. I'm always finding out stuff. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's a, it's actually pretty overwhelming when you think about it. I haven't thought about it from a beginner's perspective that much. You know, in terms of me launching something, but now that my girlfriend's doing it, she she's asking all these questions, bringing me back. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it. Imagine she, us, we went from, from doing, you know, the, the large number that we were, and now we're starting completely over. And actually, it's really fun because yeah. now, you know, we're operating from a place of financial security. Yeah. So, um, so you guys, how do you scale? I mean, obviously, you guys have the money now to do it. But for somebody, if you're giving up somebody some advice, how do you scale that business once you launch? How do you scale quickly? How to scale quickly? I'd say the first thing is, is put your team back together quickly. You know, I mean, it's now that we have the money to do it, we can hire people right from the beginning. Whereas when you're first starting, mm-hmm. you know, you got to do a lot yourself and we still do a lot ourselves, but 
um, you know, we, we farm and delegate as much, uh, as many things out to a, a team that we're building as, as possible and try to get them up as uh, going as quickly as possible. So that's one way. What do you outsource or what, what skill sets do you farm out? Well, I tried to outsource design work, but I kept taking it back. Um, <laughs> but we do social media. There might be some control issues here. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I have a specific vision. <laughs> uh, we do uh, farm out social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I have somebody that I hired from the Philippines that handles all of that. You know, creating images on Canva and posting those to Instagram, getting followers, um, posting uh, those Instagram images and also articles on our Facebook page and running that dollar a day or $5 a day Facebook ad to get followers. Um, so like for our brand that we launched in October, we've already got like a thousand followers on Facebook and they're really engaged because they love um, the stuff that she posts. How many followers do you get for $5 in a day? In a day? I'm not sure, but the $5 a day campaign we've been running since probably September. So, you know, 500 followers a month. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. And do you have to train these people, the people that you're no. hiring, they already know everything? I mean, we use Upwork. So um, I'm actually looking specifically for people with experience and what I'm asking for. And, and with the growth of Amazon, there's a lot of people that are familiar now with Amazon customer service. There's tons of social media managers, you know, on Upwork. And so I try to look for people that have experience and then a lot of times if they have experience, they can teach me something. Hey, they introduced me to yeah. Canva. I didn't know about Canva. And I was like, great, this is beautiful. You know, throw me an Excel file with some quotes, put my logo on it. And, and now we're, you know, cranking out content for our customers. One of the things that we tried for the first time this time around, is, and, and we kind of graphed this all out. We have this like big diagram um, to where we have like, uh, you know, us at the top and then we have who's under us and then who are they managing and then who's under them. and and things. So, you know, like a, uh, like a CMO, um, you know, chief marketing officer, you know, underneath us that reports directly to us and then people under them, you know, for the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these things kind of report to them. You know, when we do a launch, we, we want to be able to say, okay, we're going to launch this product, go create some single use, uh, coupon codes and, and, uh, and take care of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we want all, everything to funnel up to the CMO who is going to report things back to us. Um, customer service uh, is one that we don't quite need yet because there's not enough, enough reviews for them to, to mess with yet, but that'll be further down the line. Mm -hmm. But one of the first thing, this is the first time that we tried a uh, sourcing agent mm -hmm. because it takes so much time to uh, just go through the negotiations and everything with uh, sourcing. So we found somebody that had like 10 years experience and they did okay. They charged a lot. If you um, have a referral for a sourcing agent, we are game. <laughs> oh yeah. You're looking for a good one. Yeah. yeah, I was going to, I was going to just about to ask you, like, where did you find this sourcing agent? So all right. <laughs> Upwork, we were just trying somebody that had that, you know, responded quickly and they had a good resume, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, and I mean, I think they were probably just charging us, you know, a lot more than they should have and, and stuff, which is something you always got to look out for anyways. What were they, they charging? Do you mind saying with how they did it? They were doing, charging us $40 an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. I forgot to kind of look at the price before I hired them. And <laughs> Like uh, one of the strategies I believe that has made successful, but also has set us back in different areas is um, I especially am kind of a jump first, ask questions later person. So I think one of the things for people beginning on Amazon is they want to find this perfect product and they want to spend like six months perfecting this thing. Right. And then finally they may like, you know, push it up on the Amazon. My strategy and our strategy is find some products. How's your gut? 
like, how do you feel about it, David? And, and he usually is a great like sounding board and we kind of bounce ideas off each other. If we both feel good about it, we'll just throw something up there and see what happens. And then we'll wait for kind of, you know, we'll, we'll perfect it as much as we can. And, but we get it up really quickly and we kind of base things just like everybody else does off the negative reviews for other products that are out there. And we kind of reverse engineer, but then we get it out there and then we see what people's responses are. And we can always make tweaks. I mean, that's what people don't understand is, um, you can always tweak your product a little bit. You don't have to start a whole new listing. You know, if there's something that people don't like uh, about it, you know, it, if it's not a big enough change, you know, you don't really, let's say like, uh, if something's, you know, woven into a fabric versus something being screen printed on top of a fabric, you know, you don't have to start a new listing just because the manufacturer screen printed something and you wanted it woven into the fabric and people are complaining that's too rough. Right. So basically, uh, you know, you make that change, you know, because customers complain and you tweak it and you make it better. And then you put that in there, Hey, new and improved or whatever. And then mm-hmm. you can always evolve that. You can always change it without, you know, really hurting you. And, and so there's really less fear. And, and if it, if it sucks and it, you know, it, it all implodes, you know, and, and, and nobody likes it and you have negative reviews, there's lots of ways out there to, to liquidate um, too. So really your risks just really continue to decline. Um, with this type of business. Interesting. And social media then, would you say that's one of the big factors for scaling for you guys? Um, scaling for us is rinsing and repeating. So if we find a product that sticks, we release as many related or variations of that product as possible. So for example, if we have a cell phone case, which I of course would never recommend doing, but say I had a cell phone case in red and selling really well, mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm going to release it in different colors and maybe I'm going to release, you know, a screen protector. Um, and so finding products that, um, can serve that customer, like as many products as possible. So let's say, you know, if you're in a kitchen and dining and, um, you know, you're selling a silicone spatula and you can sell baking sheets and oven mitts. And if you're in, in, in bath, you're selling them, um, different, you know, bath bombs or uh, spa things. And, you know, so, so we look to scale by continually releasing similar or related products to a successful product. So obviously if something doesn't do well, we're not going to like double down on it. What's interesting about that. And this is kind of an important point is that if you have a product where you can have variations, like Leah said, like this, the cell phone case or whatever, where you can have different colors and, or if it's, you can appeal to like, you know, maybe you start out with a gender neutral product and then you, uh, you know, a gray cell phone case and then you do one in pink and then you do one in blue or whatever to go more, more general um, specific or gender specific. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the good thing about that is, is that you're, you're not taking, you know, I guess what we found out is we're not taking away from the market share of our first product. Right. You know, like, okay, if we launch this, is this going to make our sales go down? Are people going to look at it and be like, oh, no, they have a they have a red one. I don't want gray or they have a pink one. I don't want the gray one or whatever, you know, and is that going to make that is that going to take away from that? And what we found is the first one, the neutral one always, always stayed uh, highest. And the others um, didn't take away anything from that. They they went high as well. So um, we were able to just take people that probably wouldn't have bought it all and and uh provide more options for them so that we get you know a buyer i remember a study that was done on uh, ragu or the story about ragu uh, spaghetti sauce and everybody was competing for the best spaghetti sauce mom mom's homemade spaghetti sauce you know and, and it was all just spaghetti sauce but then once they started doing like four cheese and like mushroom and onion and all these different kinds 
what they found was that they created a, a brand then that had many variations and people were drawn to them because they had variations. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay, cool. So let's back up a little bit. Actually, I want to talk about your book just before we go. And I have two more questions to ask you. Normally we do podcasts that last about 30 minutes and this one's going along because it's been so awesome. There's a lot of good information in here. I hope, um, we're, I hope we're adding value. I hope we're like teaching you, are. Thank you something. Yeah. Do you guys use video by the way, on any of the stuff that you do? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So our previous brands, uh, we did do video. Um, our first video were kind of funny because we didn't have a very good personality. We didn't have good talent. So it was like, this is our product and it's so amazing. <laughs> and then our second video, like we actually put ourselves um, in the video. And that is one great piece of advice that I want to give people. This is a strategy that we use on all of our brands. So I think it's going to be really funny when be people buy like two completely different products and they're going to, they're going to see the same family photo, right? Because one of our <laughs> strategies is, Hi, we're David and Leah Cups. We're, um, and this is all true. We're not lying. Uh, we're a Midwestern family. Uh, we have two small kids and we created this new product and we are so anxious to get your feedback and we really hope you like it. Um, and please contact us if you're not happy, but this is who we are. This is what we believe. We, we believe in creating great products to serve our customers. And so um, we really try to create a personal connection between us and the product so that when people go out on Amazon to leave the review, they're like, did you see those two cute little kids? I don't want to like, you know, kill this family business. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they feel more of a, a connection to us. And in turn, um, we get more uh, positive feedback. So, and this um, is an image inside the follow up yeah, email feedback genius. So that's what okay. we do with the follow up. And then also we use video, we used video in the old website and we'll be using it moving forward as well um, okay. to create a connection with the customer. Cool. What would be uh, one ninja tactic that you love implementing and what were the results of doing that for your product or products? Well, I would say that would be a ninja tactic, number one, um, because when uh, as a case study, we did not do that in the beginning. I never used David or I or our kids in the in the follow up email. We didn't try that hard to connect. We were just trying like, to stay afloat, you know. <laughs> so what were the results when you did that? What did you see happen? Oh, it was, man. It was like. It went from getting maybe one or two like emails a day or, you reviews. know, not just reviews, but also just feedback. Um, it went from getting like, you know, one or two like seller central messages today to like, you know, 10 to 12. And, and they were always very personal. Hey, Leah, uh, your family is so cute, um, but I wasn't happy with this product. So I wanted to reach out to you first before I left a review on Amazon. And so they almost feel a, a responsibility that they maybe didn't feel before when it was just a random brand that they were buying. Gotcha. Okay. That's very cool. All right. So we're going to close say, out with this one. Oh, go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like on, on, uh, on my side, I would, I would say probably like, since I do a lot of the optimizing and things is, um, some people probably do this, but I use AMS, uh, you know, when you are basically pulling, you know, competitors keywords, when you're trying to use like show up on the product display. Mm -hmm. you know, for, uh, you know, on their page, um, I'll take and copy and paste those, those keywords in and, uh, and then do a merchant word search to see how those rank um, when I'm creating the listings. And then also in a phrase match, I'll use a single word for a phrase match, um, which is something I learned from, uh, Brian Johnson's group. Um, whereas most people will put a phrase in there. If you put a single word, you might have less, you know, lower impressions, but at higher conversions. And so really low a cost. So I just throw as much money as that as possible. So those are just a couple of little tricks there. Cool. Cool. Awesome. 
Okay, so the book here, can we see it? Yeah. I want to try to bring it up here. On, on the back here, the final thing, it says, develop your grit. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Close us out with that. Absolutely. So one of the reasons that David and I are successful is because we don't let obstacles stop us. So we develop this sense of grit where no matter what happens, we're going to push forward. So I'll give you a couple of great examples in the Amazon business specifically. Um, cease and desist letter for a patent infringement. We found a workaround and we sold out of that product. Um, uh, hazardous materials shut down one of our products, but because we had multiple products, you know, we stayed afloat. Um, so there were many obstacles that we came across on Amazon. Instead of letting that stop us or maybe a product that didn't sell as well, we just kept moving forward. And so that's what developing your grit is all about. I would add one, one more thing to that. And that is, um, you know, every day you're always going to find an excuse uh, not to do something or something that intimidates you with this business or, or, you know, doing something that's out of your comfort zone. We, it seems like we live in our, in, out of our comfort zone most of the time. <laughs> like, I feel like we're never comfortable. We're always trying things that, that we aren't good at or, you know, trying to be better at things. Um, but I would say every, the, one of the things is just to every day, just either try to, you know, do something that you're uncomfortable doing or just try to push forward. And people see this business and they're like, oh, they, they give up. I mean, if you look at how many people took ASM and how many people have actually succeeded, it's a very small number. And one of the reasons because people give up, they have a product that didn't work and it wasn't the product didn't work. They just didn't do, you know, pick the right product or market it in the right way. And so try again, um, you know, and, and people are like, oh, I can't afford it, but you can, you can pay off your debt. You can do a lot of things. You can, there's a lot of what you, if you really want it. You can, you can do it. And if people want this bad enough, if they want freedom mm-hmm. and they, they want kind of like the more time with their families and things and be able to, you know, be on the beach with their laptop and, and work from there if they want, you know, I mean, it's, it's worth it. I mean, it's worth the sacrifice. Awesome. Well, that's, you got, you guys are a power couple, the Amazon monster (laughs) couple here. That's cool. And guys, if you want to get mom life Inc, I assume there's a place they can get this, right? Yeah. Amazon. Get it on Amazon. (laughs) There you go. Um, for hashtag mom life Inc, or you can go to momlifeinc.com. And if you have questions or you want to know more, you can email me from there as well. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you guys on the show. We're going to tag you in our Facebook group so that if anybody has a question, that'll be there. And awesome. you guys, yeah, if you're- thank you too. Thanks for putting out such an awesome podcast. We listen to every episode. We don't miss one. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. And we'll talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to the AMPM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.